It's the Stinking Truth Podcast with your host, Mark Schlereth. Thanks to our presenting sponsors, Bet Rivers Sportsbook and Dude Wipes. Now, here's your host, Mark Schlereth. Hey, welcome in to Stinking Truth Podcast, uh, live from Hawaii, where I am, Mike Evans, back in uh, Colorado. But uh, always good to be with you, buddy. I want to thank our presenting sponsors, great folks over at uh, Bet Rivers. Bet uh, with a winner, Bet with Bet Rivers. Check them out at BetRivers.com. Also, my guys at Dude Wipes, uh, DudeProducts.com. Stink15 is the code. Get 15% off all your Dude products. And then uh, Stinking Good Green Chili at StinkingGood.com. Mike, how are you, buddy? I'm good. We miss you uh, back here on the mainland, but. Uh... Glad that you've had a chance to recharge a little bit after I know it's been a, a grind of a football season, calling games for Fox and you know also doing your radio show. So I'm glad you're getting a chance to get a quick little bit of R&R. But the playoffs move on. And, and the head coaching vacancy, seven of them. Um, what, do you, what do you make of uh, all these job openings and the names that are yeah. being associated with them? Well, it's, it is, you know, it is amazing. I think, uh, you know, the one thing that I, I guess surprised me the most was Joe Judge initially getting to retain his job. But the, I think the public outcry, Mike, has a lot to do with it. You know, I know that the, the, the Giants ownership, uh, the Tisch family, the Mara family, they didn't want, they, they want continuity. They didn't want to fire Joe Judge. But I think just the outright, I mean, just kind of the outright dismay, if you will, uh, what, whatever the word is. I don't know what the word Whatever. You know, I'm not a wordsmith. But, I mean, people were up in arms about the third down and nine, like, wedge quarterback sneak. And, like, this is the worst coaching job. And I just feel like the ownership had to listen. I mean, it was, it was all over. Everybody was talking about it. And eventually got together a day later and ended up letting go of Joe Judge. That was that was one that I think is probably merited, but it was a little bit, I guess, surprising. It was surprising that he didn't get fired right away, but I really think it was the public outcry that ended up getting Joe Judge fired. You know, you look at some of the uh, the, the folks that are being talked about as as potential replacements. Dan Quinn is on a lot of people's lists, uh, at least. Uh, Four of the seven openings have requested interviews with Dan Quinn. Uh, to me, if you are looking for somebody who's been a head coach before and you're not necessarily looking for the next, you know, young big thing as an assistant, a, a coordinator, especially on the offensive side of the ball, if you're looking for somebody who is a, all right, here's the term, retread, you can't, you can't go wrong with Dan Quinn, can you? No, Dan is – I mean, one, Dan's a damn good football coach. And I think you've seen that all season long with the Dallas Cowboys. He may become the assistant of the year. So there's no question he's a damn good football coach. And, you know, that's a, I think that's a prerequisite for, you know, for obviously you want to have a great coach. But I think the bigger thing is, is you see the way his teams play for him. You see the relationship that he builds, and I got to witness it. I got to witness it firsthand when he was the head coach at the Atlanta Falcons. Now, you know, you lose a Super Bowl, you're up twenty-eight to three in the third quarter, and it just like from that point forward, it just kind of fell apart. You know, you lose your offensive coordinator, Kyle Shanahan, gets a head coaching job for the 49ers. and and you know, it just a lot of things going on there. But I am telling you, 
like watching his practices, watching his teams perform, watching his players play for him, and the upset, the genuine upset when they knew it was over for Dan Quinn. And I did a game late in a late Atlanta game. I think it was Atlanta, Carolina, and everybody knew it was a foregone conclusion. I mean, the whispers were out that he was going to get fired. And talking to guys like Matt Ryan, talking to guys like Julio Jones, talking—I mean, talking to their team—and they were devastated. Like we let our coach down. It's us. It's not him. We didn't play well. We didn't execute. I mean, they were devastated. He is a relationship builder, and I can tell you all the different programs he does, the mentorship programs he does within his team. Um, he would be like, I would love it. I would love it to see him get that opportunity. If it was in Denver, I would love it. Um, he is just a he's a he's a great coach and a better man, and that's you know that to me is important. So, what do you make of the? fascination with these you and I joke about the Oda McVay that you know anybody that's rubbed up against Sean McVay uh, people want him that guy to be their next coach when you look at some of these uh, hot assistants from the Kevin O'Connell's to the Brian Callahan's to the Nathaniel Hackett's uh, how, how do you how do you look at them is, is it is it smart is it a smart way to go to try to tap into where these guys come from, the coaches they work with, the, the, the quarterbacks they get to work with, or are our teams kind of wishing and hoping for, uh, for a long shot here? Yeah, I think that when you start to look at it, and this goes all the way back, really it goes back to Mike Shanahan. Um, when Mike Shanahan came back to the league after he was let go of Denver and started coaching the Washington Redskins, um, at the time, obviously Washington football team now, and who knows what they're going to be here in a month from now. But when he came back to the league, McVay was on the staff, Kyle was on the staff, LaFleur was on the staff. Like he had, it's a who's who of coaching people, right? And you're right about McVay because everybody that, that has kind of had that Oda McVay on him um, gets that opportunity. And look what Zach Taylor is doing in Cincinnati right now, getting them back into the playoffs, getting them to win um, their division. It just is amazing. And, you know, you start looking at the juxtaposition of, like, the Belichick coaching tree, everybody coming out of New England that has just Bill O'Brien didn't work out, Romeo Cornell hasn't really worked out. Um, you know, you go on and on and on. Now, Mike Vrabel, you could argue, worked out, but Mike never coached under Bill Belichick. Mike played under Bill Belichick. He played in Pittsburgh. He played, you know, in, in, in those situations. But, you know, whether it's Josh McDaniels in the fail, you know, failing, it's Matt Patricia. Now, the latest is Joe Judge. And then you look at guys, you know, like LaFleur and like, you know, Sean McVay and like Zach Taylor and these guys, like, if you're an owner, wouldn't, wouldn't that be what you want to find young, dynamic coaches that that are super smart, super energetic, relate with the players well? And you know, I don't think it, I don't think it's the youth, Mike. People think it's the youth that that relates. It you can either communicate with people or you can't. And I think that that Sean McVay does such a good job of communicating and keeping you know that positive energy and and just like. When he walks into a room, man, he, he just energizes a freaking room. And I think as all his coaches kind of grow under that and they start to understand how things need to be run on a day-to-day -day basis in their own rooms, you know, when they're coaching. So 
I think that's a big I think that's a big part of why he's been so successful and why his assistants seem to be getting opportunities and seem to be successful as well. But that's the key, isn't it, Stink, that you're hiring this guy based on his well, his his offensive genius, right? Or what you think you're gonna be able to tap into this mm-hmm. offensive genius, but there is still the matter of uh, can he can he run a football team? Can he get up in front of a room? Can he handle game management? Can he handle timeouts? Can he ham- handle when to throw a challenge flag? Here in Denver, we've just gone through two straight first-time head coaches in Vic Fangio and, and Vance Joseph in which both these guys came with a certain amount of reputation on one side of the ball, but they showed that they just were – ill-prepared to be a head coach. So how do you know with these first-timers, okay, they may have a certain amount of, uh, you know, offensive genius, but does that mean they can be a head coach? Because it's yeah. it's not a simple transition. No, it's not. And, and here's – there's a couple keys, I think, Mike. One, when, you, when you're a position coach or you, you move on to be like from an offensive coordinator to a head coach and you want to be the guy calling plays like Sean McVay, it's important to understand that that takes, you know, that takes a certain amount of bandwidth and other things may, at least game day-wise, slip through the cracks a little bit, right? So you have to, you have to establish yourself and put together a staff that really complements you and I think one of the things for Sean McVay, like, you know, I did, when he first became a head coach in, what was it, 2017, I was doing games. And um, it was my first year doing games, and I just was blown away by Sean McVay. But there was a key hire that he made that year to help him. And that key hire was Wade Phillips. And he hired Wade Phillips to be his defensive coordinator. And Wade was on his staff for a couple of years before um, Sean moved in a different direction, but he told me point blank, Wade Phillips was my number one target and my number one hire. And he said, because I have to, I have to understand that, you know, I need to, to learn what I don't know. And Wade has been a head coach in this league. He's got a winning record. He was a head coach in Denver. He's a head coach in Buffalo. He was a head coach in in Dallas, I think he had a winning record. Every he may have been 500 at De- in Denver, but everywhere else he ever went, he he was a he produced a winning. That's record. correct. Yep. Yeah, and so he he ended up saying, "This is my number one hire because I need help <clears throat> managing the day to day and understanding like the game day flow and everything else." And so, like, even though you're you're labeled with this kind of genius moniker, which is, yeah, as I always tell you, man, genius in football are mutually exclusive events. Like you're not coaching or playing in the NFL if you're a genius. Like let's let's just move on from that. But to be smart enough to realize, hey man, there's a lot of things I don't know, and I need the help. Um, and and it's it's really interesting, you know, if you talk to a guy like um, uh, Cliff Kingsbury in Arizona. His, his right-hand man, a guy that's been in the league for 20 years, is special teams coach Jeff Rogers. And Jeff Rogers basically mirrors him on the sideline, and he takes care of all the intricacies of game management, when to throw challenge flags, everything, on behalf of Cliff, Cliff Kingsbury. So Cliff can work three or four plays ahead of, of the game calling the plays. So there has got to be that, you know, let's call it humility. 
you know, is, is and I don't think humility is the word that comes when you think about Sean McVay and, and his, his brilliance and his ability to game plan and his game calling and everything else. Like, you don't think of it that way, right? The bravado that he seems to have. But when you sit down with him, man, he is a humble dude. Like he is, he's a grinder, he's a worker, he's, he, you know, he's, he prepares, but he's humble. He doesn't mind. Like he, he knows what he doesn't know. And, and like that, that stuff to me is, is the authentic piece to the puzzle that I think a lot of the New England Patriots assistants that have gone on to, to coach don't understand. They don't get that. And, um, and so Sean's guys, you know, people that have been in that Mike Shanahan, I'll call the Mike Shanahan tree, um, certainly have have seemed to kind of get that and and understand that, and it, I think it's served them well. All right, well, we'll see how these vacancies get uh, filled here over the next couple of weeks. But uh, we got games. We got not just Wild Card Weekend. We got Super Wild Card Weekend with. Uh, a game even on Monday night, which is which is awesome. I don't know about the teams that are playing in it, how much they, they yeah, like that. I, I was I was gonna ask you that. What did you feel about the, the Monday night games? Uh I think I think we've seen a couple things on display this weekend that show that the NFL is all about the show and they really don't care what their teams think. <laughs> I think we saw that during the, the pandemic where it was like, Hey, look, we'll play we'll have you play on Wednesday. You don't like it? Too mm-hmm. bad. The show must move on. And I think a couple examples is, hey, a Monday night game, we love. Every fan out there loves the idea of a Monday night playoff game. Now, for the Cardinals and Rams and whichever team wins and knows that they're going to have a short week ahead of them to get ready for the uh, next weekend, well, too bad. So sad. I'll give you another example. You got the Patriots and the Bills. It's going to be zero degrees I know you can't even fathom that where you are in Hawaii right now, but it's going to be zero mm-hmm. degrees with a wind chill well below zero as they play at 8.15 p.m. local time in Buffalo. But should you play that game probably in the afternoon? Yep, but you know what rules, TV rules, and that that should be a, a, a weather game. People get drawn to weather games, and uh, people loved it the last time the Patriots and Bills played up there in Buffalo, and it was a crazy weather night, so... Uh, too bad, players. <laughs> you know, suck it up because uh, the show must go on in the NFL. So let's get to the games. You got. Uh, we'll go in order. Raiders Bengals, uh, a rematch of a game played in Cincinnati uh, several weeks ago, in which Cincinnati won handily. Uh, the Bengals riding high, having won the AFC North. They're back in the playoffs after a long absence. But here come the Raiders, who've won four in a row. And might feel like they've got a little bit of team of destiny feel about them after the the way they won the other night. How do you see this one? Yeah, you know, it's it's really interesting. Plus, I mean, not only that, is they've got to make a decision on the head coach. And, you know, Rich Passaccia is the interim head coach. But he's he's driven them to the playoffs. They beat, a, you know, they it was a play-in game against the Chargers. They ended up winning that game and playing themselves in. So, you know, they've got a lot of, as you mentioned, they've got a lot of momentum. It'll be interesting to see exactly kind of how they respond to this. Because, let's face it, Cincinnati seems to be a better team. Um, love their quarterback. Love, you know, the running game. Love their re- receivers have been just awesome. <clears throat> and plus, like, I want I want the Bengals to, to win because I want all the smoke. Like, I want all the smoke <laughs> from Bengal fans. Right. Like, pr- bring the smoke. It's, it's awesome. 
So we'll, I mean, we'll see. I, I, I think that offensively at home, like they're, they're two different teams. We saw the Bengals come here to Denver and win a game 15 to 10. That really wasn't, I mean, it was, it was a dud when it comes to firepower. But at home, they open it up. They feel really good about who they are at home. I think that continues, that trend continues with Cincinnati. And they just have so much, so much weaponry, so much talent. And they're so tied together. And I tell you what, they play with some swagger. They, they just are pretty fearless um, when it comes to, you know, when it just comes to their offensive prowess and, and what they're able to do. So I like, I like the Bengals in this game. Like I said, I want 100% of the smoke from Bengal fans. You know what's never happened in the history of of uh, Bengals football? Nobody's ever sent a text in the history of Bengals football um, talking about a Bengals playoff victory. Because the last Bengals playoff victory was in 1991. The first text was sent in 1992. So <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure I, they sent I, a fax. Right, I want this for them. Yeah, you want, I want the, them yeah. to be. I want them to be able to text uh, a playoff victory. All right, so, Bengal I'm fans. For Cincy. Here you go. Bring the smoke. Stinks ready for it. All right, so we got that game. Yeah. Also on Saturday, the aforementioned Patriots and Bills, the rubber match between these two teams. Each team has won on the other guy's turf. This one's in uh, Buffalo. It's gonna be bitterly cold and 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 windy. Who you got? Who you got? I, you know, I think I'm going, I'm going to go Buffalo um, at home. I think that was, you know, an embarrassing loss for them. And, and I'll give Sean McDermott a, a ton of credit. Remember after that loss, he was basically saying that the Patriots threw it three times and everybody was, everybody was commenting on the brilliance of Bill Belichick and the game planning. And, and McDermott was having none of it. He's like, yeah, he's not that bright. <laughs> I mean, he's good. He's not that good. Right. Yeah. He's, he's, he's all right. You know, whatever. Um, and then they go to, you know, they go to New England and win a game. And I think that was a really pivotal game for them because I think there was a lot of internal questions in that particular, uh, you know, in that going into that particular game and they hadn't played really well. So I like Buffalo at home. I think Buffalo is going to win this. I think they're a better football team. All right, let's move on to uh, the Sunday games. We've got a triple header on Sunday and we start with Philly, uh, at Tampa and, uh, your boy Brady. Yeah, you know, I, I think that normally I would I'd be like, hey, Philly, this is the one team that nobody really wants to play um, because they run the ball so well. And, and you know, it's the it's the ability to have that kind of quote-unquote plus one aspect to what they do, meaning they've got a, a quarterback that runs the ball as well and all the, uh, you know, the read zone game, the RPO stuff, all that comes with it. And when you talk about Philadelphia, you're talking about a team that can do everything. I mean, they can run that. They can run the zone read stuff. They can run the. They can run all the uh, the the zone, the wide zone, the tight zone. They can run all the, you know, all the. They can do all the, uh, uh, all the, the the duo stuff and the and the gap stuff and the pin and pull stuff and all the stuff that they just can anything they, they want to run they can run listen most of the time I think of, of of Philadelphia as a team you don't want to you don't want to mess with when it comes to the run game because they're so good at essentially everything like they've got the plus one aspect meaning their quarterback is also a running back so it's all that zone read stuff and using that quarterback 
you know, to, to attack the edge of a defense or to hold the edge of a defense for their running game. But they can just line up a straight zone run you. They can go tight zone, mid zone. They can go, you know, they can go wide zone. Um, and they can beat you up on that. They're so athletic and so physical that they can drive you off the ball. They can work up to the next level. Then they've got the, the gap scheme stuff, the, the pull game, you know, the power, the counter, the uh, pin and pull, you know, bob game outside or whatever you want to call it, transportation series, they call it in the West Coast offense. So then you can attack the edge, and you're so gifted athletically with your center being able to pull and all that stuff, you can get up to the second level. So they, they've got all that stuff. So normally I would be concerned about that. But when you talk about Tampa Bay, you're talking about a team that – one, defends the run exceptionally well, or they always have. Two, they've got all kinds of speed. Three, Todd Bowles, their defensive coordinator, does a phenomenal job of bringing pressure early. So he constantly is bringing pressure, run blitz, you know, pass blitz on first and second down, putting you behind the chains. And if he gets them behind the chains and you've got a bunch of third down and seven pluses, Philly just did not – I don't believe that they're they're built to play that way. I don't think Jalen Hurts is built to get them out of those holes. And so I think that's what you're going to see. I think you're going to see Tampa bring pressure early. I think you're going to see them, um, you know, get after people and um, and blitz and do all that stuff, and then bam, you know, it's then it's over. One of the more intriguing games of the weekend is San Francisco and Dallas, and they have such a rich – playoff history going back to the, the the 90s. I think this is the first playoff matchup between the two since 94 when those were just juggernaut teams. And, you know, they'd meet in the NFC playoffs and you felt like, okay, this is the real Super Bowl right here be- right. between these two teams. Um, you, you got a Dallas team that Jerry Jones was was quoted earlier as saying this week that, oh, yeah, it's, it's Super Bowl or bust. I feel really good about where this team is at. And yet you got a San Francisco team, and I'll, I'll give you credit. Ugh, I hate doing this, but weeks ago you said, don't let San Francisco figure things out. Don't let San Francisco get on a roll because this will be maybe the most dangerous team come playoff time. And, and boy, they got that look about them, don't they? They certainly do. Hey, Mike, I'm not one to tell you I told you so, but <laughs> I told you so. All right. And, you know, here's the deal with San Francisco. They do such a, a an unbelievable job uh, of creating – explosive plays off their running game and their running game, the volume of it. um, Like it's hard to explain. Well, maybe it's not hard to explain. It feels like there's a ton of volume in what they do. Like there is a lot of volume to their running game, but the volume is not nearly what you think it is. It just looks that way to a defense, meaning they run essentially maybe going into a game plan, six, seven plays that they're going to run. But they do such a good job of motioning. And they do such a great job with different personnel groupings. And their their short motions and their long motions across the football field and everything else that they do. And what they end up doing is they end up creating angles. Now, I've told you this before on this podcast. I probably discussed this with, 12 different teams last year and all 12 of those teams were studying the 49ers running game. Like how do we get some of that in our running game? Because it's just, it's amazing when you watch it, it's incredible. And so they create these great angles for their fullbacks and for their tight ends. And that's how they attack you. 
And so we all know what the strength of the Dallas Cowboys is. The strength of the Dallas Cowboys is their defense. It's their ability to rush the passer. And they've got um, Odiki Zuwal inside who can really rush the passer. He's a good young player. They've got Randy Gregory outside. They've got Demarcus Lawrence outside. They've got Micah Parsons, who's a, you know, attack the weakness of your defense guy. So they can line him up, stand up inside as an A-gap blitzer. They can line him up outside as a defensive end. He bounces around. He's a great player. And they've got, you know, unbelievable um, D, their DBs all have unbelievable ball skills, I think is the thing that makes them or sets them apart. And so, you know, you take away, like, that's the strength of their team. And so if you can take that away with the way you run the ball, the way you create, you know, your explosives, like, you got a chance. You got a chance to be, you got a chance to win that game. I, I like, like, the Niners are the team that nobody really wants to face in the playoffs. I like them, man. I like this Niners team. So, I am going to pick an upset there, and I'm going to say take the Niners going on the road and beating the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, I think I'm I think I'm with you on that one. The uh, final game on Sunday, <laughs> Big Ben is at it again. Now, not quite the same as getting ready for a huge game by letting everybody know that he's got a sprained ankle by wearing a clown shoe. <laughs> but he right, uh, came right. out in his press conference saying, "Oh, we got no chance. I mean, we're you know what are they like a twenty point favorite or something? I mean, we're gonna we're gonna get hammered." And right, I. You know what? I I love the I love the strategy. I mean, coming from Ben Roethlisberger, he's not the most authentic sounding dude. You know, there's a disingenuous mm-hmm. to a lot of things he says. But in this case, I think it's the right tone for Pittsburgh to set. They just went in there three weeks ago and got boat raced. So what do you got to lose? Probably try to take all the pressure off yourself by saying, "Hey, we got no shot." Put all the pressure on Kansas City. Yeah, I don't think there's any question. That's that's what he's doing. He's playing the game. And and you're right. Like you are I think if you're Pittsburgh, you are playing on house money. Come on. I mean, you you got in um heck if if the Chargers don't call the timeout. And and you know, you can go back and forth on all that kind of stuff about Brandon Staley and that calling that timeout or whatever, but if they don't call that, the Raiders may just take a knee and uh and be content with playing to a tie. So yeah, and then and then the Steelers don't get in, so they know they're on house money. They're like, we get it, we're on house money, we got nothing to lose. There's no pressure here, in the way we're playing. So, yeah, I, I love I love the aspect of it. I love going after it that way. So we'll see exactly what happens on that. But Ben Roethlisberger has been in this in this game, and it does feel like man, this is his farewell kind of swan song. But it doesn't feel that way for me. It just feels like man. He's going out there having some fun playing, and and we'll see what happens. Now, for all intents and purposes, come on, they, the Chiefs feel like they're going to boat race the Steelers anyhow, right? Yeah, I mean, that's they yeah. they should. I'm sure they feel that way. Where where are you with Kansas City? Do you how do you feel about Kansas City as they get ready to embark on this playoff run, as compared to the last two years where they you know went to the Super Bowl? Yeah, I you know I feel like they're more vulnerable now than they have been in the past. Um, you know, defensively, <clears throat> they've been really good here down the stretch, but then they go to Kansas or they go to Cincinnati, and Cincinnati hangs it on them. You know, they Cincinnati puts a bunch of a bunch of points on them, and you know, a bunch of big plays, a bunch of breakdowns over the course of that game. So. I mean, I, I really kind of like where they are offensively. I like what they've done here down the stretch, but they they still are vulnerable. And Cincinnati did it in a way that we just didn't think was possible, where I right, got into a, a track meet with them. 
like well, I've always said, hey man, you got to control the clock, control the tempo. You know, you got to, you know, if you're going to beat Kansas City, you got to you got to eat up the clock and hope you have the ball last with about a minute and a half left to end the game because if they get it with a minute left, it doesn't matter if they got to go 90 yards, they're going to score. So you, you know, I've always looked at them that way, and then you know, yet Cincinnati beat them in a whatever it was, a 35-31 game or whatever the heck it was. I can't remember, 34-30, whatever. But <clears throat> the bottom line is, they're, uh, you know, I still think they're the, the best team in the AFC, but they see, they certainly feel more vulnerable than they have the last couple of years. All right, so we wrap things up with that Monday night game um, with the Cardinals and the Rams. Uh, again, two teams that know each other very well. Arizona, boy, what a... What a Jekyll and Hyde type team, home versus road. They've they've been they've been terrible at home. Uh, you you just did their most recent game where they lost at home to Seattle, but they've been such a different team on the road. So do you do you do you, do you hang your hat on that if you're the Cardinals, how they've played on the road, or are you suspect about them with the way you you just saw them play last week? Yeah, I'm still I'm really suspect. I mean, DeAndre Hopkins is a big time playmaker, obviously for them, who's been out with the knee injury. They just have lost some of their mojo. I thought early in the season they played a lot of a lot more two tight end formations. Um, not that they were the most dynamic run team, but they always seem to be able to get themselves in third down and manageable situations. Um, played with a physical nature that, you know, that I just don't think they've had as much of late. They had some. This last weekend, Seattle just, you know, I mean, they ran through them, no question about it, with Rashad uh, Penny. So they ran through those guys. But I, I just offensively, there's something not right um, between the quarterback and his receiving core. And I, I really feel like if he shut down Zach Ertz, uh, he just doesn't have a great rapport with the rest of receivers on that team. AJ, He and A.J. Green just were off um, the whole game last week. So... Yeah, you know, now they do play looser on the road. They don't have us. They don't feel to me to be as uptight. So that may be a good thing because that's what they talked about. Just the their own, <clears throat> excuse me, self-inflicted wounds at home has been the real issue for them. So anyhow, I, I think um, I just think that I just think that they're a a good team, but not a great team, and they're trying to they're struggling to figure out what they are offensively. So. I like the Rams in this game. I think the Rams are, you know, going to are going to obviously end their playoff run here. You, you trust Matt Stafford in a playoff game? Uh-uh. I do. I I do. You know, Matt Stafford. I think part of Matt Stafford's issue, if you will, is that Matt Stafford had played twelve years for Detroit, where it was a hundred percent of the time on him. If you can't get it done, we're not going to win. And it made him take chances with the football that he probably shouldn't take chances. They're a better team than that. They can run the ball. They can take pressure off of Matt Stafford. They've got great players. Uh, and they and they're a great scheme it up football team. So if Matt Stafford plays, you know, with with um, a judiciousness that he's not used to having played in Detroit all those years, they win this game. He's just he's just got to be. He's got to kind of have that live to fight another day attitude. And unfortunately, he doesn't because that's not how they ever were able to win when they were in Detroit. Well, get ready. Uh, You are in one of the greatest places ever to be able to watch uh, football, these football games. I mean, nice and early. I mean, you're going to be able to have breakfast watching these games. You won't have to stay up late at night to watch these games. 
I'm so jealous on many fronts. Yeah, no, it's gonna be it's gonna be awesome. And you know, we, I mean, I absolutely destroyed you. It's uh, what I did to you was was horrible in the regular season. Right. But are we gonna are we yeah, gonna pick these games? Let let's let's pick these games. Do I do I at all least right. get the? So there's uh, yes. we're picking all of them, right? And so if yeah, we have sure, some if we have some repetition, that's fine. Uh, but I'm going to take, uh, in order, going down the line, I will take uh, Cincinnati minus the five. Mm-hmm. I will take Buffalo minus the four. I will take Tampa Bay minus the eight and a half. I will take San Francisco plus the three. I will take the Chiefs minus the 12 and a half. And I will take the Rams minus the four. Mm. Are we all, wow. are we kind of in agreement? Yeah, we're kind of in agreement all right. on all those. That's, uh, all right. That's all right. That's all right. Great minds. All right, we'll just yeah. We'll, we'll are just, you? I we'll mean, are you in total that. agreement? Are you like? There's no separation at all. I could, I I could see the Eagles. I could see the Eagles playing the Buccaneers tight. I think the Buccaneers win that game. So I could see. I could take the Eagles and get in the eight and a half. Okay. But I still think the Buccaneers win. I think the 49ers win that game. Um, let's see here. I am gonna go. Yeah, I'll go that way. I, you know what? I'll just for the heck of it, just for fun, oh, I'll take the. I'll you take, take the, the Steelers. Steelers. Oh. Yeah, I don't think the. I don't think the. I don't think the Steelers I'll keep win. It close. But twelve and a, right, twelve closer. and a half is a big number. Yeah, closer. Yeah. Okay. So we'll we'll go there. That will that will change a few things up for us. All right. Sounds good. Well, enjoy your uh, football weekend there in Hawaii. You deserve the uh, the break and uh, recharge and enjoy the football. We'll uh, we'll talk about when you get back next week. Sounds good, my friend. Thank you. Take care. Hey, by the way, don't forget our presenting sponsors, the great folks over at uh, Bet Rivers. Bet with a winner. Bet with Bet Rivers. Download the app, BetRivers.com. Also, the great folks over at uh, Dude Wipes. Check them out, DudeProducts.com. Stink 15 gets you 15% off of that stuff. And then Stink a Good Green Chili, StinkaGood.com for everything you need to know.